I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, hello. Hello. I have to say, you're looking good. I don't know if you've had a pre-holiday haircut. I don't know if you've had your Botox injections. I don't know if you're using some kind of filter on the Zoom. This dark navy blue is quite good for me, isn't it? Do you think I should be more navy? Why not? In the navy. In the navy. Who who was that? That was the village people. It was the village people, wasn't it? Yeah, it it was their next Everyone remembers. Ed is currently doing some semaphore. It was supposed to be wine. (laughs) I know, I know, I know, I know. Um... I went global this week. So I, when I was uh, young, um, I was an intern at the magazine called The Nation magazine in New York. And they very kindly invited me to do a little talk and conversation about my book. I don't know whether you know, but I published a book. And ah. It was great, actually. I felt incredibly nostalgic. I lived there. I lived in New York with my dad. My dad was teaching in New York. Funnily enough, I did these two internships one at a television station called the McNeil Lairet News Hour, and one at the Nation magazine. And um, I was I was regaling my children with the story of my first day at the McNeil Lairet News Hour when I had to answer the phones. But the biggest problem was I didn't really know how to work the phones. And the problem is, on a TV station, think broadcast news here, on a TV programme that has to go out at 7 o'clock in the evening, when people are trying to get conference through to each other and there's some doofus on the <laughs> on the on the phones who basically has an incomprehensible accent and spends all his time cutting them off by 5 30 in the evening people are literally running down the corridors to go and talk to each other because they thought well there's no point in going through the doofus on the phones <laughs> uh, uh because it's like the, the program's never going to get out i mean literally it was like one of these things people sort of <laughs> running back and forth and they're like never mind i'll go see him i'll go and see her never mind don't worry so i remember i remember that evening spending a totally sleepless night thinking i'm gonna be fired and deservedly so i mean what i was actually thinking is how interesting that they didn't invite you back to do a talk about your book <laughs> definitely you were, what was it called the mcnaren news hour mcneil laren news hour it's called the pbs news hour i mean de- now definitely i think you know yeah no i i well i maybe maybe i sort of improved but uh, yeah. Should we move on, though? Yes. So so this week's episode, I don't want to preempt it too much. It's reasons to be Welsh. But I thought just yeah. to whet your appetite, I could yeah. g- give you some famous people and uh, you, you could tell me whether they're Welsh or not. Go on. Bertrand Russell. Oh, I would say yes. Yes, born in Monmouthshire. Do you know that my father did a series of extended interviews with Bertrand Russell in the 1950s, 60s, which I, we have on a, C, on a CD somewhere. Um, I think they're from the Bertrand Russell Foundation. They're long, long hours of interviews that he did with him. Well, they're probably out of copyright. We could put them out as bonus episodes. 
Yeah, we could have Bertrand Tonight. Russell as our cheerful person one week. Reasons to be Bertrand, right? Okay, uh, Michael Howard. No, not Welsh. Born in Swansea. Yeah, I did. I knew that. Do you want to know what his favourite of all his choices when he went on Desert Island Discs was? What? Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you. Interesting choice. I don't think I'm in a good position on this. No, no, okay. Okay. Angels, and you probably sort of said rude things about me on your radio show when I did, but anyway. (laughs) Okay. Um, David Lloyd George. Uh, Yeah, definitely Welsh. Born in Manchester. Uh Yeah, I mean, very Welsh, but uh, but actually born in Manchester. Why did I think he was Welsh then? Because I think he was Secretary of State for Wales. I think he... No, no, he must have grown he up in Wales. He grew up so. in Wales, yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. not born there. That was a sort of trick one, yeah. Yeah. His favourite dog, by the way, was a Chow Chow. That's interesting. Yep. Anything else? Anyone else? I'm quite enjoying this now. I thought three was enough. Oh, no, go on one more. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll think of one. Um... Uh, huh. No, who's that um, famous person? Narrow it down a bit. Catherine Jenkins. Oh, she's she's Welsh, isn't she? Correct. <laughs> Is that, are those the fact-checking skills that you were so famed for at the the Nation magazine? I mean, that wasn't that a brilliant one. No. Why not? I think she is famously Welsh, isn't she? It's like saying Anthony Hopkins. Gareth Edwards. Yes, Welsh. Exactly. Mark Drakeford. This is turning into name Welsh people. <laughs> let's let's talk about why we're Lindsay doing... Todd. Lindsay Todd who used to Lindsay work for Todd. me. Lindsay Todd, yes, somewhat Welsh. Let's um let, let's talk about why the Wales fixation. Why are we doing reasons to be Welsh? We're talking about reasons to be Welsh because we're really impressed by lots of the things the Welsh government are doing and we've sort of noticed lots of innovative policy coming from the Welsh government and we thought hang on a tick you know, we talk about lots of countries outside the UK that are doing interesting things. Hang on a minute. Shouldn't we talk about Wales? So that's what we're going to do. And we are delighted to be talking to the First Minister of Wales, Mark Drakeford, about leading Wales through the pandemic, some of the policies that are being pioneered in Wales, why he thinks we need further devolution of power, and crucially, his views on cheese. Then we're talking to friend of the podcast and Future Generations Commissioner for Wales. And this is a really interesting, innovative idea, the Future Generations Commissioner, Future Generations Act. Sophie Howe, about what she's been up to since we last spoke, some of the ideas that she's calling for Wales to adopt. And we'll also be asking for her views on cheese. (laughs) And for the sake of balance, we have a non-Welsh person as our cheerful person this week. And uh, I I think we'll... Probably for the sake of balance, we'll stay off the subject of cheese as well. It's Sam Rose, who's a Park Run volunteer, and we're going to be chatting to him about the return of Park Run uh, the weekend before last. And whether yoga causes flatulence. It definitely does. I definitely remember hearing that. Uh, what's your reason to be cheerful? Well, I've even got a Welsh reason to be cheerful for you. Oh, well, that's you just go to the top of the class. Yeah. Um, so, for family reasons, I've been spending a lot of time in Prestatyn recently. And Which is in Wales. It is in Wales, North Wales. Um, and I, I have found a great coffee shop. Now, bear with me because th- this isn't just me trying to get free coffee and cake next time I'm there. You sure? It's called Caffeina Coffee. And I got talking to the owner who's called Amy. Now, you may, might find this surprising given my antisocial tendencies, but I'm a different person when I'm impressed at it. I really come out of my shell. And um, she's really passionate about things like tr- fair trade and supply chain and uh, disproportionate impact on women and the, the, the climate crisis. And everything they do in this uh, cafe is, is sourced ethically from the coffee that they sell to the toilet paper that they use. She knows the, the supply chain going back to the trees and it's all ethical. I can vouch for the experience of both the coffee and the toilet paper. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I also thought that thinking about supply chain could be a good episode for us at some point in the future. Even after 200 and something episodes, there's lots more to cover, isn't there? Always ideas out there. So so that's mine. Shoehorned a Welsh one in. Um, What's your reason to be cheerful? Well, my reason to be cheerful is that I've been working with an organisation in my constituency called Zero Gravity, and that organisation, um, it's a social enterprise, it, it basically is about helping 
at young people who go to state schools get into some of our top universities. Oh, fantastic. It was founded by a young guy, Joe Seddon, who comes from Morley in West Yorkshire, who went to a state comprehensive school. And I just was talking to somebody recently in my constituency about it, somebody I know, a young person, and she said what I'm... And it's basically a mentoring thing, and they do it online, it's a platform. And uh, and she said what a difference it had made to her. I think she got into Durham University, and they've had real uh, success uh, in Doncaster. And the council has agreed to carry on funding them. Uh, been, I've been sort of working with the council. The council's has agreed to carry on funding them for another two years uh, to do this. And I think it's a really, I think it's sort of really important for, well, not just extending opportunity, but if you like sort of levelling the playing field for people who go to state schools and for whom this whole process of university application can be incredibly uh, daunting. So that's my reason to be cheerful. Well, that sounds fantastic. Although I will admit when you said you'd, uh, visited an organisation called Zero Gravity. I, part of me did hope it was going to be some kind of space simulation thing and you were going to be in one of those weightless simulators. I mean, obviously I'm in talks with both <laughs> Richard Branson <laughs> and Jeff Bezos. They're in a bidding war. Obviously, watch the space. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by a very good friend of mine and somebody I really admire, and that is Mark Drakeford, the First Minister of Wales. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Pleasure, Ed. Great to be here. Um, look, maybe we can just start with you talking to us about what's obviously been on everyone's mind for the last 16 months or so, which is the experience, uh, in your case, of leading Wales through COVID and, and what your approach has been to navigating the challenges of the pandemic. Well, Ed, like uh, every part of the United Kingdom, Wales has faced huge challenges over the last 16 months and more. And many, many families across Wales have had an incredibly tough time losing uh, friends and close relatives and so on. The way in which we have tried to approach it as a government uh, is through strong sense of collective approach. Our cabinet meets uh, absolutely regularly. You know, at some of the worst moments, we, we met every day of the week. And every decision we make is made, you know, in a real debate and discussion involving all the Welsh ministers. And then I think just to give you one other C word, then it's, you know, it's cautious. All the way through, we have tried to see this through the lens of protecting the health of people in Wales taking things sometimes more slowly than some people would have preferred. But the bulk of opinion in Wales definitely believes that the actions we've taken together have helped to keep Wales safe. That's really interesting. Talk to us about your priorities for Wales as we hopefully come through the pandemic and, and look to economic recovery. Well, amongst our very top uh, priorities will be to make sure that there is no lost generation of young people here in Wales. You know, the pandemic is tough if you've uh, lived quite a long time, but if you are a 10-year-old child in Wales, this is over 10% of your whole lifetime has been spent in these extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, we remember, I remember myself. I came to Cardiff to be a probation officer on the Ely estate in Cardiff, which is still in my constituency. It was the largest council estate uh, in the whole of Europe at the time. And the 1980s were a desperate time for young people growing up in Wales because there simply wasn't hope uh, of a future for them. And we are just so determined in Wales that as we come out of this pandemic, there will be no lost generation of young people paying the price economically for the efforts we've had to make to address the public health crisis. So our young person's guarantee of a job, employment uh, or training is at the forefront of our policy programme. Putting a social partnership bill uh, on the statute book here in Wales, we, you know, we operate in social partnership. Just as the Cabinet meets to discuss all key decisions, so our social partnership council, uh, our trade unions, local government colleagues, private sector employers, we all sit around the same table together thrashing out the difficult decisions as a way of crafting solutions to the problems that face us all. 
Now, we want to get into some of the detailed and incredibly imaginative policy that you're doing in Wales, Mark. But I, I, I talked to you a few months ago and I, I just really think it'd be useful for our listeners for you to talk a little bit about the arc of sort of devolution in Wales. You've been the first minister since 2018. You were in the government before that as the health minister. Wales has done it differently over the course of the last 20 years or so, hasn't it? And how would you sort of characterise that? Well, the main way, I guess, in which we've done things differently is that we've been a Labour government throughout the whole period of devolution. And that means that, you know, we have the opportunities that that brings you to put Labour ideas into practice here in Wales. And when you are in power over an extended period of time, it absolutely does focus everybody's mind on the long-term consequences of the decisions that you make. So we have the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act here in Wales that requires all our decisions to be seen through the lens, not just of their impact in the here and now, but on people who will follow us in generations to come. And I do think that that gives you a different sort of mindset, really. It does mean that you're not trying to grab a headline for today and hope that you'll be, you know, in the Ministry of Deck Chairs by the time the <laughs> chickens come home to roost on it. Um, that's an interesting way of putting it. Now, in, uh, in that's a perfect context. Uh, in May, you, you created a new climate change super ministry in the Welsh government. Talk to us about the idea of this climate change super ministry, what policy areas the new department covers and, and why you thought that was such an important thing to do. Well, look, alongside the coronavirus emergency and the economic emergency it creates, we have that other emergency that is there in front of us every day and that is the climate emergency and the impact on biodiversity here uh, in Wales and in other parts of the world. Uh, at the start of a new Senate term I wanted to bring into one ministry the key drivers uh, of the actions that we in Wales can take in our contribution to combating climate change. So the ministry has housing, transport, planning, energy and, of course, environment, all under the one uh, ministerial roof. And at different times in devolution, those four key responsibilities have sometimes been held by four different ministers at, you know, at the same time. And small as we are, and try as we can to coordinate things, it's not the same as having them all under one ministerial team, being able to maximise the impact that we make across those responsibilities, and in particular, to be alert to the crossovers between them, you know, the, the joins that need to be there, and which, if they are scattered amongst a range of ministers, try as you might, the risks are that things start falling between the cracks, between different teams of officials and different ministerial responsibilities. And, you know, just for people to sort of understand some of the practical outputs of both the Future Generations Act, your approach on climate. Talk to us about the issue of uh, sort of road spending and the and and the sort of where you've got to on that, because you've taken a decision on that, on the M4 relief road, that, that you know, isn't necessarily the decision that, that people might have expected or would be the conventional decision. Well, the biggest early decision that I faced as First Minister was a decision on the M4 relief road, uh, there are traffic problems around the city of Newport. That is undoubted. And, you know, nothing in the decision was to try and suggest that those problems were not real. But the solution that was proposed was yet another road building scheme, massive in its carbon uh, impact, with all the anxieties you have about, you know, if you build a road, the cars will come. Uh, and... It was to go through the Gwent Levels, which is a series of sites of special scientific interest with ancient woodland, with monuments that have stood there for 2,000 years, and the road was going to go through them all. My decision was that the road should not go ahead, uh, that there were economic and environmental reasons. That meant that we should find alternative solutions. We have just announced a roads review of the whole of our roads programme. We are moving away from the creation of new roads in Wales. We are going to invest instead in the maintenance of our existing road network. Of course, we will spend money with our safety considerations, 
uh, at stake or where, you know, some road development can actually lower the carbon impact uh, in the round. But we are decisively moving away from the idea that you solve the problem of transport and its environmental impact by building more roads. And we are going to use our money in different ways, maintaining and improving what we already have, shifting money into public transport, active travel, more sustainable ways in which people can go about their lives, that dimension of their lives in future. A couple of things that we're very interested in here on the podcast are uh, trees and UBI. Tell us uh, about the the new National Forest Project, because I know this is something you you were passionate about when you stood to be leader of Welsh Labour. Can you explain what it involves and why it's important to you? Well, we have to inspire uh, people around climate change as well as, you know, worry them about it. It's right that people should be worried, but if that's all we do, uh, then we will never get the sort of collective effort that we need in order to tackle it. So we need to inspire them uh, as well. And we're going to create a national forest where you will be able to walk from the far north to the far south of Wales without ever leaving our national forest. It will be a combination of improving existing uh, woodlands, preserving ancient woodlands, new planting uh, of uh, woodland It's going to involve a lot of young people who are fantastically cheered up by it all and come forward with great ideas about how we can make sure that the asset that we will create will be used by people locally as well as by people travelling the whole distance uh, of it. And we know the importance of trees in general, don't we, in being one of the things that we can do in that practical sense to mitigate the impact of climate change, but to do it in a way that gives people heart gives people optimism about their futures as well. Let's move on to UBI then. Uh, You have plans for a pilot in Wales. Where are you up to with that? So we're moving ahead with uh, our plans for it. We have to be realistic about what we can do in Wales. In many ways, what we are planning is a sort of asset-based welfare type experiment using some of the ideas uh, from UBI. I remember listening to the Reasons to, to Be Cheerful podcast on uh, UBI uh, a while uh, ago. Uh, and uh, what we're going to do is we are going to take a cohort of young people who are care leavers in Wales. So we know that these are young people who face challenges that others don't. We know that they are vulnerable to the you know the buffeting uh, of uh, fortunes. And we are going to give them an income that is sufficient for them to be able to make a different sort of set of decisions about their own futures. I mean, we know that if you, you know, if you simply haven't got enough to live on, your horizons shrink. You're having to think about how do I get through today? Where will I be by the weekend? How will I manage into next week? And that's about as far as you can think. If you've got a platform underneath you, an income that you can rely on, then the nature of your decision-making changes. You're able to think beyond the immediate. You're able to make investment decisions. So we want to test all those sort of propositions, really, uh, that if you put that sort of platform under the lives of those young people, they will be able to fashion a future for themselves that otherwise is denied to them. And if it all goes wrong, say it doesn't demonstrate some of the things that UBI uh, supporters would claim, what will we have done? Well, we will have invested some public funds in the lives of some young people who most need the help that we are able to offer them. I know you're tight on time. Um, we, we we want to ask you about uh, the the recent report proposing a constitutional reset for the UK. Um, and just before you tell us about that, I'm, I'm just wondering if you look at the nuts and bolts of Westminster, not the parties or the personalities involved but but the the way it works there is is there a difference in how devolved government works that makes it more effective or more progressive even uh, well i think we're, we're lucky and we were a new institution if you look into the senate chamber you look like a slice of wales you know we have people in their 20s we have people in their 70s we have black faces as well as white faces we look like the population that we are trying to serve and I, I know things have changed enormously at Westminster as well. But 
uh, you know, in my relatively rare visits there, it still doesn't quite look like that to me. And, you know, one of the things I think I like most about uh, our parliament is, is that, you know, there is no sense of deference. The people who sit in the chamber are no different in that sense to the people who help you to get through the door or who are looking after the, you know, the movement of papers from one place to another. We're all in this enterprise together. Whereas one of the things I've always thought is very difficult about Westminster is the way that people get treated on the basis that they are elected, as though they, by that, by that simple fact, they must be something very special. So, Mark, you can tell us there are no plans for Drake Force One, the, the private <laughs> jet, for the, for the First Minister of Wales. Uh, I cycle to work, uh, Ed. <laughs> I, I, I listen occasionally to your uh, exploit cycling. I cycle across the park, and that's good enough uh, for me, I'm, and I'm very lucky to be able to do it. So, so um, I guess to finish, can you tell us about what, what, what you'd like to see happen in the uh, wake of this report in the future um, on devolution and the relationship between the different governments of the UK? Well, the key thing, I think, is that those of us who believe uh, that we are better off in the United Kingdom, uh, we have to be prepared to get together and create a narrative that persuades people in the different parts of the United Kingdom that this is a club they still want to belong to. Uh, And I'm afraid we're quite a long way from having that narrative. But for me, because I believe Wales is better off in the United Kingdom and the United Kingdom is better off for having Wales in it, uh, we have to find a way of being able to tell that story in a way that people will want to buy into it, not to be threatened to buy into it, not to be scared into being part of it, but want to be part of it. And I think you can do that, you know, if it's a union of solidarity, if it's a union of redistribution, if it's a union uh, where it's a great insurance policy, where we all contribute the things we have to contribute and take out for the things that we need, uh, then I think we've got a story to tell. But it's urgent uh, to make that story because things are moving in Scotland, things are moving in Northern Ireland and you know, while the deck is burning, the UK government just spends its time trying to look the other way. I can't let you go without asking you about cheese, Mark. You got social media, even more social media stardom because you were asked a question by a guy, I think he was called Joe Bangles, um, uh, about cheese. Um, and obviously I had a rather more unfortunate um, brush with a food product which we often talk See, about. See, if you just get, stuck to dairy products, Ed, it would have been fine. Yeah, which we won't go into uh, on this uh, podcast. But talk to us a bit, little bit about cheese because you were, you, you were asked on social media about what your favourite type of cheese was and people got very excited about it. So the truth of it is, is that I had been answering questions from journalists since 10 to 7 that morning. And uh, by the time I came to do this Facebook Live session, which is what it is, I hadn't eaten. This is five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. <laughs> and the last time I saw food was, you know, it's six o'clock that morning. And in the middle of a whole series of very, uh, you know, challenging questions, this person just asked me, what's your favourite cheese? And I just think <laughs> I, you know, I briefly hallucinated really through, uh, <laughs> through hunger and exhaustion and just went off on one about uh, what a wonderful thing cheese is, which I do believe, by the way. Thank goodness I remembered that the right answer was kafili, uh, <laughs> that I found a Welsh Good cheese <laughs> somewhere to make sure I'd got that. And, uh, and you haven't had yeah. any pushback from other Welsh cheeses after singling out kafili? Oh, I, I, yeah, it's much better than that. I get sent cheeses, Jeff. Uh, so <laughs> I, was, I was in North Wales this week and you know, was presented with a uh, fantastic selection of sheep's milk cheeses that are made in the northwest uh, of Wales. No, it, from a personal point of view, it has been nothing but uh, a bonus. Uh, and Ed, when we invite you, as we definitely want to, uh, to the Pontypridd Lido, and it is Lido, uh, by the way, uh, a municipal uh, Lido, fantastic uh, place. When we invite you to come and have a swim there, we'll make sure that there's some cheese uh, waiting for you when you emerge well, look, we will definitely um, take you up on that. And I can t- tell you, by the way, exclusively, Mark, that nobody has ever sent me bacon 
uh, <laughs> my, bacon, my bacon sandwich incident. So I think it tells you that uh, you definitely came off uh, better, better than I did. Look, Mark Drakeford, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all. Well, for more reasons to be Welsh, we're going to welcome back to the podcast now the Future Generations Commissioner for Wales, Sophie Howe. Hello. Hello. Pronoun da, everyone. It's good afternoon in Welsh. Pronoun da. And um, I, I don't know if this was intended to, to butter Ed up or dent his ego, um, but you, you just told us a great story before we started recording there. Yeah, I was just um, recounting some texts I've just been sharing with um, a girl called Heather, who was our, um, our, our nanny for um, a few years. She's from Canada. And it was when Ed was leader of the, um, of the Labour Party. And she came to me this, this one day and she said, I've been looking on Spotify everywhere for this Ed Miller band. It must be a really good band because everyone's going on about it. So do you know where it is? <laughs> So I had to explain to her, she'd been hearing it on the news, Ed Miliband this, Ed Miliband that, and she was like, what is or where is this Ed Miliband? I need to listen to it. I'm very flattered myself. And, and would you consider releasing any music under the uh, Ed Miliband banner? Who knows? Possibly. Never say never. Never. Uh, Sophie, it was a couple of years ago we, we spoke to you about your role as Future Generations Commissioner. And um, can you just give us a refresher on what the job is, what it involves, and how it relates to the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act in Wales, which people might also need a refresher on? My job was created through the, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which was passed in the, the, the Senate, the Welsh Parliament in 2015. And um, it does a number of things, but I suppose the overarching principle of it is to, it requires all of our public bodies, so our local authorities, the health boards, you know, the Welsh government itself, to demonstrate how they're taking decisions in a way which meet today's needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. You know, it does lots of other things, but it also appoints an independent commissioner, that, that's me, and so... My job as, as set out in law is to be the guardian of the interests of the future generations of Wales. Uh, well, what, what does that task involve then? So a lot of it is about um, advising and supporting the, the, the bodies covered by the Act on, on how they you know, take decisions in a sustainable way. And sometimes I suppose it's sort of telling people off and exposing where they're, they're not doing that. So I've got powers to conduct reviews into decisions that have been taken. I often say it's really about kind of calling out the nonsense on behalf of future generations. And it really tries to get to grips with short termism in, in politics, which is endemic, I think, you know, whichever country you're in. So give us a score report then. How is the uh, the government in Wales and other public bodies, how, how are they doing on, uh, on, on this and, and the well-being goals especially? Probably off to a fairly slow start because let's face it, this is, you know, challenging the habits of many lifetimes, I suppose. So slow start, I would say, in the first couple of years. But we're kind of really taking off now in the last um, two to three years and seeing some really kind of brave decisions and different decisions coming from the government. So um, over the last two months, we've seen um, the government announce a moratorium on all road building. We're seeing um, the First Minister of Wales commit to a pilot of a universal basic income. So that's really... We were um, just talking to him about it. Yeah. So really, um, really exciting. That's something that I've really been um, pushing for. We're seeing um, massive um, commitments around uh, biodiversity. So the, the Senate was, has been the first parliament to declare a nature emergency. I could go on and on, but there's loads of really good stuff starting to happen now, which I think is being really prompted by our act. So the thinking that is behind the future generations is starting to permeate policymaking then? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you know, it's from those, some of those sort of big government approaches um, and commitments and down to sort of small actions. Just yesterday, I was um, speaking to someone on, on Twitter, two brilliant women who've set up a, a social enterprise called the Good Wash Company. So they, they make hand wash and those sorts of things from, you know, Welsh ingredients and they, uh, and they give, you know, a percentage of their, uh, of their profits to, um, to charity, do loads of, of good stuff. And I first met them about two years ago and was starting to talk about the circular economy with them. And I was like, hmm. So um, they were like, oh, we're making, we're branching out into wash bags. I was like, so what could you use in terms of circular economy in your wash bag? So as of um, this month, they've just launched 
from South Wales Fire and Rescue hose pipe wash bags. They're really cool. Go and have a look um, at them. They've worked with South Wales Fire and Rescue, who have got objectives because of our Future Generations Act to reduce their emissions and reduce their waste. And it's kind of small things like that that's happening. And so it's not just about the waste. It's about the connections that are being made. It's about the fact that the profits from that product will go back into good causes and so on. Oh, that's 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 fantastic sort of example that brings it to life. Um, I want to talk to you about the Fit for the Future programme, which you published uh, earlier this year. And um, I think Ed wants to go through some of the specifics of it with you. But just more generally, um, why now at this, this moment where we're addressing the sort of immediate challenges of recovering from the, the pandemic, what, why is it important to consider and, uh, and shift our thinking on future well-being? We've been in, you know, that word unprecedented, isn't it, massively, you know, it's everywhere over the last two years, but it has been, you know, unprecedented um, times. And I think we've all been, you know, in, in, in shock and surprised about this global pandemic that has hit us. But I suppose there's something to question as to, you know, really, should we have been surprised? Because the risk of the global pandemic has been in the top 10 of the global risk registers for I don't know how many years. So I think that there's something really kind of, Um, present at the moment around, you know, how prepared and how active are our governments across the world in terms of anticipating these, you know, shocks. And there's no bigger shock to come, I suppose, or arguably that we're in the middle of if the um, the weather this week has been anything to to go by but there's no bigger shock to come than the you know than the, the climate and um and nature emergency and so we need to be saying now how are we going to rebuild post-covid in a way which doesn't just you know get us out of the mess we're in at the moment but prevents us from getting into another mess in terms of, of climate so I think there's this moment in time now where everything is kind of paused I suppose and everyone's trying to recalibrate and think right what do we do next that's the moment in time when we've got to do better things particularly in terms of climate emergency and let's talk about some of the specifics uh, in more detail sophie um decarbonizing housing big part of your fit for the future program national nature service do you want to say something about those things We've tried to sort of identify the things, I suppose, which, um, you know, we've got these seven well-being goals which relate to health and prosperity and nature and um, cohesive communities and and so on. And really what our act is requiring our, our, our organisations, our policymakers and politicians to do is to do the things and make the biggest contribution across each of those um, seven well-being goals. So in terms of um, housing decarbonisation, um, it's a really obvious thing to do because um, we invest in housing decarbonisation. We have the potential to create 26,000 jobs in the next um, in the next few years. There's 12% of Welsh people living in fuel poverty at the moment. So we decarbonise their homes. We put money back into their pockets by taking them out of fuel poverty. Um, we help to regenerate communities and we're meeting, you know, helping to meet our carbon emissions targets. There's a massive challenge, however, because... We estimate that it's going to cost about a billion pounds a year to do that because Wales has got some of the poorest quality um, housing in in anywhere in Europe, actually. And there needs to be a shared endeavour from the UK government and the Welsh government to do that. And then there's things like the National Nature Service. So really exciting proposals that I've been working on with a range of other um, partners around how could we create a service Um, which directs invests in job creation in nature. So things like if we invested, for every pound we invested in restoring peatlands, for example, we'd make about £4.60 back. And it's got the potential to create about 4,000 jobs. And I've got this aspiration for Wales to be the most eco-literate nation in the world. So right from what we teach our kids in school through the curriculum, through to what sort of training programmes are available for young people and all age apprenticeships and so on. Tell me this. You've been in the role for five years now. I mean, I'm struck about how effective I think you've been and the general perception is that you've been. How have you achieved that, would you say? You know, I suppose I... Being the, the first, um, you know, that, that's a, a privilege, isn't it, in that you get to sort of form the role yourself. But I think, you know, people could play it in different ways. So I'm sure you'll, you know, you could have a future generations commissioner in the in the future who sees their role as doing lots of kind of foresighting and, you know, future trends and scenarios and predictions and all of those sorts of things. And that would be entirely valid. I suppose I've taken a different approach, which is... Um, 
four purposes of my office to highlight the big issues and challenges facing future generations, to challenge and support public bodies to to act on them. Um, Significantly, the third one, to build a movement. And this is where I think we've probably been the most successful. I mean, one of the really interesting things, so the the CBI um, in Wales back in 2017 um, were in the media saying that, you know, what a how terrible I was because I wanted to stop a big motorway being built and, you know, it'd be a terrible threat to the economy and and that I should get with the the programme and so on. And I think you, you know, part of it is about you know, calling some of that out, but also then trying to build consensus. So you're building this movement to actually we want to do different and better and future focused things in Wales. And this time last year, the CBI wrote to the First Minister saying they fully endorsed my Future Fit programme for for government and, and plans for kind of COVID recovery. So that's how things start to change when you start, I think, presenting a kind of positive vision of what's possible with the backing of a legal framework and start building people um, around that so that it becomes you know almost the the norm and you're the odd one out if you know if you don't want those things for 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 Wales and this sort of insider outsider role that you have I don't want you to tell any tell us any secrets of the Welsh government although you're welcome to but how much of the time do you get people ringing you up saying why the did you have to say that you know civil servants or ministers say well that Sophie Howe, she's being a total pain in the neck on this issue. I mean, is that part of the job description in a way? I'm sure that they're, they're far less polite than pain in the neck, some of them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely part of the, the job description. And, you know, OK, here is a secret. Sometimes people are in power. They want you to be a pain in the neck because it's actually really difficult for them to shift the system to. And they want some outside shouting and ranting and building a movement of other people who are going to shout and rant and you know about the government to do better things to you know to help them to shift the system too and you know I I worked in government for a number of years which when I was appointed that 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 was a criticism of me or she's you know she's too close to government and she's been in government and so on and so on but actually I think that means I know where the bodies are buried and I know exactly the tricks that are played and you know don't tell me that you're going to be doing another review on blah blah and you know kick that into the long grass for the next uh, five years or yes you're going to be you know you'll respond in due course to recommendations and so on because I know exactly what that means and I'll be on your case there's one big issue that I just don't want just to um, finish without asking you about, and it's on everyone's mind, and that is the issue of cheese. Um, the <laughs> uh, first minister gave a what now infamous uh, interview about carefully cheese. Well, that he a that he loved cheese, and b carefully was his favourite cheese. Um, Sophie, is there anything you'd like to declare about your views on cheese? Which cheese you like? And anything on a sort of future generations perspective on cheese. I also love cheese. Cheese is one of my all-time favourite um, food. Um, Caffili, I'm sorry, Caffili, it's only up the road from me, but I'm not a fan of the cheese, not of the place. I'm sorry, I, you know, I've got to, I've, I've got to be honest about these things. I can't just say I like Caffili cheese because it's like, you know, five miles up the road. Dolcelata, I'm afraid, is is my is my favourite cheese and you know I'm feeling thoroughly disloyal to my Welsh cheeses but I am Welsh Aveni is lovely as well Aveni if I had to choose um, Welsh cheese well look I think that you have you have basically completely lived up to your honest straight talking uh, reputation Uh, you've told us from the hip what you think about cheese uh, Sophie Howe, look, I, I think we can see, having interviewed you a couple of years ago, having talked to Mark, having seen what's happening, what a difference uh, you're making. I think it's really, really interesting what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Dear Vaud. So what did you think? Well, I was struck by a couple of things, aside from just the range of cheese that Wales has on offer. Firstly, I was thinking about how little of what we've talked about that I I would know about if it wasn't for the podcast. Yeah. So in other words, um, how sort of little a share of the national media these ideas in Wales a good uh, point. Tend, tend to get. And then the, the other thing I was thinking about was, of course, when you asked Mark why is Wales able to uh, achieve some of this stuff, he, he mentioned 
a consistent yeah. support for the Labour Party. So that longevity of and, and long-term yeah. plans, uh, uh, I, I think, is interesting. But of course, we we could do reasons to be Scottish. There are interesting things going on in Scotland as well, and um, and in Manchester, and in you know, there are interesting things going on in Manchester, in London. I think it's about governing, going beyond Westminster. Yeah, it's one of the things that keeps coming up. If you devolve power, interesting things happen. Definitely. I mean, I tell you what struck me about Mark was that um, for a big cheese, if I can put it that way, uh, he's got incredible humility. I mean, I think that humility is sort of incredibly attractive quality. Um, he's definitely not going to be building or buying Drake Force One. I thought it was pretty good. I think it shows I'm not bad at the slogans that I thought of Drake Force One. What did you think of that? How, how can you propose Drake Force One and yet still still have turned on the Jeffocracy in such a dramatic way? Mm, I know that's true. Actually, what I thought was really interesting about Sophie, just talking to Sophie, is normally people think about experts as sort of, quote-unquote, boffins who produce reports that basically get ignored by government or taken or not ignored. But, you know, they're sort of produced reports. I think she's found a way of doing this role, which is not just sort of, you know, report writer, but sort of provocateur. Yes. I think there's something interesting that there's a a specific face to it as well. It's not a committee recommending this. It's it's a person, uh, a known... It's like movement builder, you know what I mean? Yeah. I suppose the other thing is, it sort of goes back to what you said, I'm just sort of so impressed by the range of things that they're doing. I mean, we think about the podcast and it's just their move. I mean, I'm not claiming the, you know, having the podcast claim credit here, but you know, they're just moving on lots of fronts. Although Mark does listen from time to time. I mean, it's quite possible he, he takes notes. No, look, I think it's great. And I think, I think it does show that devolution works. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you've got thoughts about what you've heard on today's episode uh, about Reasons to be Welsh or ideas for future episodes, which we'll ponder over the summer, please do get in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Uh, Every email gets read and the nice ones get read out. And it's cheerfulpodcast.com. This one comes from Sue Sinclair. Subject Lido's. Dear Ed, Park Road Lido had two resident ducks. One is called Simon. We never knew the other's name. Simon swims lengths, glides over the ropes and sunbathes through goggles. It's enchanting to see his little feet kicking under the water. Wow. Best of both worlds, Sue. And she puts a kiss. It's very interesting that they knew Simon's name but weren't able to glean the name of the other duck. How I want to know, how did they know Simon's name? This comes from Kate Johnson, who says... 
thanks for the latest episode on Lido, as I'll say it the uh, Mark Drakeford way. My kids and I love a swim, especially at the kind of pool where kids are allowed to splash and have a play. I like that too, Kate, uh, grown-ups too. Um, my children's local state junior school has a heated open-air pool, and we've joined the PTA Pool Club. Parents volunteer to open the pool every afternoon after the May half term and during the summer holidays for our kids. It's great fun. I realise this wonderful asset is halfway into the public. Uh, We can use it, but not everyone can. I'd love to open it up to others in our community, as well as just the junior school kids. I wonder if there are ways to link up these kinds of half-public community resources to the wider community. That's an interesting thought. Really interesting idea. Are you allowed to, um, to, to splash around in the ponds where you go swimming? Is splashing frowned upon? Mm. Oh, I saw a I saw a big fish the other day. Really? Yeah, and my friend Chris saw a big fish too. Did you compare notes? Was it the same one? Well, it was like a massive fish that jumped out of the water. He was like, honestly, I thought, am I seeing things? Did this fi- did this big fish really jump out of the water? And, and then uh, my friend Chris said, a huge carped. A huge carp, sorry, jumped very close to me in the men's pond. Wow. Do you think they're turning on the humans? They're trying to reclaim the pond? No, it's part of the nature thing. I mean, I don't like to carp, but... Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Now, to fill our cheerful person slot, um, we thought that there would be nothing more appropriate than talking about the return of Park Run, which which happened, I think, I think I'm right in saying uh, on the first first time on the 24th of um, July and was a big moment. And it's slightly vicarious for me because I haven't yet returned to Park Run, but we're joined by Sam Rose, who is one of the organisers of St Mary's Park Run in Dorset. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Ed. Go on, tell us, what was it like? How did it feel to... <laughs> To be to be back after all this time at Parkrun. Oh, it was, it, it was fantastic. We have had what three false starts, I think, from head office, and then eventually they said, "Yep, twenty fourth." And we held our nerve for a few weeks, and then we put out the request for volunteers, and volunteers started flooding back in, saying, um, "Yeah, we want to get involved because you obviously can't do a Parkrun without the volunteers." Um, and we started telling people locally as well, but didn't want too many because we were quite a small course anyway. Um, and then eventually we got to the day and uh, it was a bit, a, bit, a bit misty, a bit rainy. Um, but, you know, as is normally the case at 20 to 9, um, people started to, to come in and they started to, to crop up. They were happy. They were cheerful. Didn't matter about a little bit of rain. And we had 102, 103 people at the start line, which is just about right for, for the size for the first one back. We got all the, the placings right. The marshals did their job right. The scanning works. And everyone was delighted to be back out. And what's your excuse, Ed? I know you've had your head turned by the cold water swimming. Um, Sam, what can we say to to motivate Ed to rejoin his local park run? Just do it. Just go on a Saturday morning with your trainers on and run it or walk it or hop it or skip it or roll it. Whatever you want to do, just do it. Nobody cares how you do a park run. As long as you actually just go along and have a go. I bet you've got a fear of not coming close to your personal best. You're so competitive with yourself. <laughs> and it is true that now that you mention it, Jeff, that my personal best significantly improved sort of off during the pandemic. So um, I was sort of running uh, quicker. I, I sort of bought some sort of cheaty shoes. But uh, what's your PB, Ed? What's your personal well, best? it's I think it's I think on the actual sort of official timings, it was about 26. But I did do 23 something for an old guy like me. That's pretty that's not bad. What's your PB, Sam? Yeah, I did uh, 19, oh my 1945 God. at Weymouth, but that was a few years ago now. My well, best recently is twenty twenty one twenty two. Okay, Sam. Right, we need the coaching here because I did get <laughs> I did get some uh, coaching from my friend Roger uh, in Canada through the podcast because we had I had this idea that I could sort of crowdsource my improvement. What What do I need to do to get from sort of twenty three something, twenty four something, maybe twenty five to sort of Sam Rose levels? <laughs> I'm not sure my levels are that good, but 
I think you need to find someone who's a little bit faster than you mm. and you run with them and you follow them and you they push you and that way you will be pushed um, to, to increase, increase your speed. Okay, so right, that's, that's why else. I've never come back because I'm worried that I would have the opposite effect and drag you down to my level. Lowest common denominator, <laughs> yeah. How often do you do you run? Uh, if I'm on a if I'm on a normal regular week with my club, I run twice a week plus park run if I can. And do you do other exercise? Uh, do I do yoga uh, on a Monday night, and which is great actually for flexibility and strength and core strength. Um, what else do I do? I do paddle boarding when I can and when the weather's good. Um, that that wouldn't lot, that wouldn't go else. well for you, Ed, on a paddleboard. <laughs> Jeff, it wouldn't go well. Jeff, That's a viral got... video waiting to happen. A, another one. I, you know, I've got this image of us, Jeff, doing like Zoom yoga together as a sort of midweek way of us when we're not doing the podcast. <laughs> you and I both in sort of leotards, you know, on Zoom with a yoga instructor. What, what do you think? Yeah, because one of my yeah. big fears around yoga is that it causes great flatulence. And if you're doing it by Zoom, that's taken out of the... You've never heard that before? No, no, I've just I've never had any of those issues in yoga classes. Okay, maybe I've been I mean, you're basically then. spreading fake yoga news, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually do... There are people who do yoga on paddle boards. Okay, there is. You can do yoga on paddleboard classes. It's just bonkers. I mean, maybe that's the next on location podcast we do, Jeff. You and I <laughs> doing yoga on a paddleboard, recording the podcast with Joel and Emma on other on other paddleboards, instructing us. There is also something called park yoga. Did you know that? I didn't know no. that. No. It's like it happens for free. Yo, big yoga events in parks around. At the moment, it's mainly the southwest. Um, every Saturday over the summer months, uh, I think they've restarted. That could be the one for me. That giving be. me the bug this again, actually. It's just like, oh. you know, you can feel, don't you think, Jeff, you're going to, now that Parkrun's restarted, you're going to come on board, aren't you? I can feel you're going to Maybe Park Yoga. I am, I'm at a time of my life now where I am making those involuntary grunts and Now that you know that the flatulence sofa, thing so. is just, now you know yes, the flatulence fake thing news. is just a myth, a, a terrible fake news. Uh, Sam, before we let you go, I mean, something that we've found uh, when we've talked about Parkrunners in the past is just, what it does for a sense of community. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that is where you are and um, and what the, the feeling was when it restarted again last weekend? Oh, it was, it was lovely. Community is kind of everything for us because it's a small place. So we have a lot of people who, who've just been, you know, if I bump into them on the street, the first thing they say is, when's Park Run back? When's it coming back? Because it's just a key part of their day on, on a weekend. It's so nice for, for a small town to have a place you can go, you can exercise with people, you can take your dog, you can take your buggy, have that regular nine o'clock on a Saturday thing to start your weekend. Well, we're, we'll, um, we're going to start planning this outside broadcast in Bridport with the paddleboard. Yeah, give us a shout. You'll be very welcome. We'll, we'll host you. It'll make the bacon sandwich yeah. look like a sort of you know, walk in the park. <laughs> All right, Sam Rose, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks very much, guys. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, we're in the outro. We are, and we have something exciting to tell you about. Yeah, something quite special, which we've never done before, actually, which is that we decided that this was such an important year in relation to the climate crisis because of COP26 that's taking place in Glasgow in November, that we were going to do a special series of episodes, uh, four episodes, which will be airing over the summer, really really going into depth on the climate crisis, the COP, what it means, why it matters, what we should be aiming for, the state of uh, the climate debate, uh, and obviously the extreme weather that we've seen only accentuates the, the sense of crisis uh, and urgency. And we're bringing together, I would say, Jeff, a sort of all-star cast, presidents, scientists, activists, negotiators, everyone you need to hear from to think about this crisis and understand what needs to be done. And if you're like me and you think, I know this COP is important, but I'm not quite sure what happens and how it all works listen to these episodes and you will be fully informed as we watch what happens in glasgow later this year good cop not bad cop well we'll know what is a good cop and what is a bad cop by the end of these episodes it's a fair cop yeah 
We should thank our guests. We should. Uh, Mark Drakeford and Sophie Howe. And thanks to uh, Sam Rose for coming on and telling us about what it's like to have Park Run back and inspiring us with regards to uh, park yoga on paddleboards and quelling all my fears around uh, uh, flatulence. Emma Caution produces our podcast. Thank you to Emma as ever for getting it sounding as neat and tidy as it does. You should hear what we send to her every week. Joel Pierce does all the research and uh, finds all the guests and uh, informs me and Ed so we sound like we uh, we know what we're talking about on these topics. Thank you, Joel. Joel is supported by Joe Kenyon at Goldfish. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed our music. James Deacon made our eye dance and our artwork was designed by... Henry Cull. He's been a big cheese. He's got a vegan cheese kit that he's never used. <laughs> All this episode, every time the subject of cheese <laughs> came up, I've been thinking, when is Ed going to mention it? And there we are in the dying seconds. I thought I'd got away with it. Uh, and these have been <laughs> Reasons to be Welsh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.